Welcome to Super Aging Podcast. This podcast strives to promote healthy aging and amplify caregiver voices while raising awareness about dementia. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Patricia. Today I am speaking with Karen Wanasula. Right, Karen? Yes. Yes. Karen Wanasula. Karen is an executive coach, speaker, and author of The Sudden Caregiver a roadmap for resilient caregiving. After two decades of corporate executive coaching, Karen knows what it means to make changes in your life. She has helped leaders evolve strategies to achieve their desired changes, growing their businesses, accelerating their careers, and inspiring their teams toward greatness. When her late husband was diagnosed with stage four cancer, out of the blue, Karen instantly joined a silent army of informal caregivers, informal and unpaid family caregivers. Like all caregivers who came before her, Karen figured out what she needed to do to support her husband and her family through the journey of his illness. She promises herself that when her caregiving journey came to an end, to honor her husband's legacy, she would create a roadmap for sudden caregivers. How very generous of you, Karen. Very welcome to the Super Aging Podcast. And please accept my sincere condolences to you and your family for the loss of your late husband. Thank you. I want to also thank you for the work that you do to support and encourage caregivers all around the globe. Thank, thank you. you. Yes. Thank you so much. And thank you for the work you do. Thank you. You're welcome. Before we start off, this is Super Aging Podcast. So we'd like to ask all of our guests what super aging means to them. So I will start off with what does super aging means to you, Karen? Well, the first thing it means to me is choice. So I really believe that we in order to be super aging, we need to choose every minute of every day, the healthier thing. Mm -hmm. And I do, I use the word health. It, it, to me, that means a lot of different things, but we are human yeah. people. We need to move our bodies and we need to move our bodies more than 30 minutes every three days. We need to really be prioritizing how we get that movement into our lives. I do believe in working out. I do believe in working at it in every age. I do believe people can find a way, even if it's taking a walk, which not to minimize taking a walk, that's kind of what I do a lot of. I also think that baby boomers, as I say in my book, baby boomers are 10,000 turns 65 every single day, and they will well into 20, the 2030s. So 65 is a magic age. The whole, I've just been doing some research. The uh, World Health Organization defines old age mm -hmm. as 60 and above. I'm 67. I do not feel like I'm an old age. I don't look like one either. Yeah, right? Thank you. I want to be one of your super agers. <laughs> you, you sure are. <laughs> but I don't. So movement food choices. And some of this is in my book. And mm -hmm. the way I encapsulate it is, and, and this is self-care for caregivers, but it's really all of us. Right. 
the way that I say it is, remember when you were going off to school when you were six years old and your mother always told you, eat your vegetables, go outside and play, get some sleep, get your sleep, hang out with the right people, right? Keep good company. Mm -hmm. And then for me, for caregivers, it's that idea of give yourself a little mini break of self-nurturing every day, no matter what that is, how you can find it. And that applies to all of us. And I feel like if we make those choices to eat, to move, to sleep, and to do the thing that isn't the easiest thing, especially as caregivers, we grab Mm -hmm. the fast food when we could have the apple or the granola bar. Mm -hmm. So those are, those are kind of my go-tos. And the other thing about super aging is our health is not within our control. Control. And my husband and I were just talking about this is, are we healthy because we're smart or are we healthy because we're lucky? And I feel like it's a combo of those two things. Mm. My late husband was diagnosed out of the blue. He was 67, the same age as me now. Okay. And he was the healthiest person you could ever imagine. Mm. He worked out six days a week. He took supplements. He ate all the right things. He'd never used salt. I, on the other hand, did all those, like, didn't work out six days a week, did eat salt, you know, right, traveled a lot, high stress. And yet he's the one who got stage four cancer. So unlucky. On the other hand, we do have the ability to intervene upon some of the things that are are non-communicable, non-cancer kinds of diseases that may visit us. And those are the things that I feel like if you're a super ager, you need to get in front of. That's right. Well, thank you for that explanation. I really appreciate that. Do you remember the moment or a time when you realized that you were stepping into a role as a caregiver? Can you tell us about what and how you are feeling at that moment? Well, as you pointed out, and we've said, used this expression out of the blue, my husband was a very healthy guy who had a bad back. And the back kept getting worse all summer long. Mm. And uh, he called me. I was traveling for business. We were both consultants. We both traveled a lot. And he called me at two o'clock in the morning. And he's, I knew he had been to the emergency room for his bad back. Yeah. But he called me and he said, I have stage four cancer. So on one hand, that should be the moment, two o'clock in the morning. But what I did, which I think is fairly typical of a sudden caregiver, mm-hmm. is I just went, I was like, okay, I got to get up. I got up. I packed up out of my hotel. I got the first flight back to Boston. But what I was saying to myself is, I'm just going to get there and make this okay. Like, oh. obviously, they've gotten this wrong. And once I'm there, I can help problem solve because I'm an executive coach. I'm a professional problem right. solver. And so the moment really came during the first week of caregiving when I saw how seriously the medical people in our world and our family members were taking this. And then I thought, and maybe this isn't as fixable as I think it is. And certainly the diagnosis we got is this is a terminal disease. We can fight it. We can treat it. We can have our battle cry that we're going to get through it. But at the end of the day, as a caregiver, I had to take in the more realistic facts about what was going on in our world. So that moment was all of a sudden I was facing this steep learning curve. And that's when my 
okay, I got to learn, I got to go to school on this and learn as much as I can about it kind of kicked in. I'm sorry it came that way. And as you know, that happens a lot of times to many people that they find themselves in this journey without prepping for it and not even thinking about it as it's going to, because we know at some point in our lives, we would step into this role, you know, one way or the other. But it's it's something that people don't think about at certain times in their lives. At 67 for your husband at that point, I wouldn't imagine you thinking about anything of that. I mean, given to the kind of work that you're doing, that's not, that's the least thing on your mind. So I don't, when you said you thought you would go in and fix the problem, I can understand what you mean by that. Because it's like, no, this is really not happening. We can manage this. We can make this work. Um, But unfortunately, that's not the case. Yes. So then the goal becomes, how can we live our best lives? Mm. And in my book, I call this as normal as possible. It is not normal the way the rest of the family would expect us to live. And I think of it as being on the other side of the looking glass. So everything about our lives looked the same. Once we got into treatment, my husband was able to work. He worked right up to the very end as long as he possibly could. I was able to resume my work. It wasn't the way we used to do it. We made concessions, but it was as normal as possible. And for caregivers, we need to get to as normal as possible for as long as possible. Mm -hmm. Great point there. And your book titled The Sudden Caregiver, what does that term mean? Well, the way I thought of it then, and I still think of it as this illness, cancer made a home invasion, right? We were just living our lives, going on vacation. The kids were launched. Everything was great. And and like you say, we weren't thinking, okay, disease is right around the corner. And we were totally expecting to live into our 90s, or as my daughter would say, you're going to live to 115. I'm not going to discuss this with you. But so sudden is that moment of there's been an invasion of your world and everything that was up is now a chaos. Mm-hmm. And that is how in my book, I describe it as crisis, but it is really an earthquake has happened mm-hmm. and we have to pick through the rubble and figure out what of our lives can we take forward. Mm-hmm. The caregiver part of the sudden caregiver is this is the job now. Mm-hmm. And you have uh, caregivers of 53 million caregivers just in the United States, 11% of developed countries all over the world. And so when we think about all those people doing this job, some, and we make it up as we go along. My husband's cancer is different from someone else's husband's cancer or someone mm-hmm. else's mother's Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, there's an overlap in all of caregiving where we all share the same job, the same responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And it's really my book, why I wanted to write it is how we do it can contribute to our own well-being. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be where our lives have just been hijacked and we just have to muddle through however we can. Right, right. So, I mean, you touch on a very important point that it doesn't all have to be chaotic, how you do the caregiving role, because you step on it suddenly unexpectedly but now what because it can be long term 
and you don't want to live in that chaos all of that time. You want to be able to have like a roadmap, just like you said, as to what do you do, what phases of your caregiving is happening, and what do you do at that point. So you kind of plan as you go, because now this is your new life that you step in. So I really like the way you put it. Now, before we get into the story of your book, I want you to speak to the caregiving community that you you are building. We know that caregiving comes with a lot of challenges, both in terms of physical and mental health. And sometimes, even with those numbers that you mentioned, Karen, that 53 million caregivers just within the United States, caregivers do feel lonely within their space. So tell us about your community and why you have that and what is it that you guys do? Well, the reason that I decided to do this book is because I had two experiences as a caregiver. Mm-hmm. And so this is speaking to the caregivers in your, your audience. Right. Yeah. One experience is, as you say, it's challenging. It's depleting. It's exhausting. Every single day, mm-hmm. I would wake up and I would open my eyes and say, this is still happening. I'm still on. This is still my job. Yeah. And as a caregiver, you don't, I didn't want my job to be over because that would mean that I would, I would lose my husband in my case. Some people can, you know, you come up out of it, you have uh, remission, you have some time, you know, where you can kind of get back to normal, but I didn't have that. And I think many caregivers don't, especially someone who has an Alzheimer's diagnosis or anything that just looks like it's going to get worse. Mm-hmm. But that was one experience. And I certainly have that, but that was not my only experience. And so when I started getting this idea that I needed to understand what other people knew about caregiving so that I could be better at it. And there is research that says the better caregiver, the more you can be on top of things as a caregiver, absolutely the better that will be for the person in your care. Right. So what I started thinking was, as I read the research, and there's a lot of it, as you know, it's bad, it's depleting. You may as well just go under the bus, uh, you know, under the wheels of the bus. But that wasn't my experience. And so I decided I would look at lived experiences of caregivers and talk to caregivers. And it just happened at that time that because my friends were knew I was going through this and my colleagues at work, I would get a phone call. Would you talk to this person who has caregiving and, you know, as a, a thing. And so that's why I started thinking there's a community here. There's a way that we can share best practices. Mm-hmm. And I found communities, but I haven't found one yet. And it's my goal to create it where people can just come and get the resources they need as as caregivers. So what I ended up doing was when I talked to actual caregivers, Mm -hmm. what they were telling me matched more of what my experience, it was great. Like there were days that were, we had holidays, we had family, we sang carols, we, you know, took the boat out. We did different things that were just the things that we would do, even if we weren't in this medical situation. And I have a degree in positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania, and that's the mothership for positive psychology. And Martin Seligman is the person who created a model called, he, his goal is that we are a flourishing world by 2050. And so he created a model called PERMA. Mm. And this is what we experienced as caregivers. It is, PERMA stands for 
positive emotions, engagement, positive relationships, Mm -hmm. meaning, and accomplishment. And as I was speaking with caregivers, I was going, this, I'm not just making this up. This, this is possible. And when you have those five elements of PERMA, and I would add, and others have added vitality or health at the end of that. So it's P-E-R-M-A-H or V. When you have those elements, then you can be pretty sure, like if you rated yourself on a scale of one to five on each of those things, and you ended up between three and five, probably well-being is present in your circumstance. So when I would talk to caregivers and they would say, I am so proud of what I'm doing. No one else can see it, but I know that I am doing something that's harder than anything I've ever done or that I'm so engaged or I'm closer. And this was true for my husband and me. We were closer because this brought us together. So definitely high on the positive relationships, looking back on it, did I have meaning and accomplishment? So those are the things that I encourage people as I talk to caregivers to really recognize that you can have well-being. Mm -hmm. And if it's present already in caregiving, can we cultivate that well-being? That's wonderful. So I have a couple of questions as a follow-up on this, Karen. Is do you think your educational background influences how you approach your caregiving journey? I think it approaches how I describe it for other caregivers because everything that I say in my book is mm-hmm. evidence-based. Someone has done a randomized controlled trial to surface some of the well-being research. And I, my book actually has, even though it's not an academic book, and I hope it's accessible, I wrote it to be accessible to anybody. There are 16 pages of references and notes and follow-up in case anyone wants to right. follow up on some of what I put in. And by um, where do we find the book? Oh, it's on Amazon. Nice. And, um, and caregiver. That's the ease of the sudden caregiver, a roadmap to resilient caregiving. And it is on. It's, I'll definitely be reading it. I, I wish I had read it before we met, but I, it's on my list of things to do. I'm happy to send you a copy, by the way. So when we oh, wrap I'll, up, I'll get it on Amazon. No <laughs> worries. Thank you, Karen. All right. Thank you. Yes. So the other one is the term healthy caregiving. If there is such a thing, which you, the way you describe it, the way you're describing your journey, sounds like a healthy caregiving. If you can explain that more in depth, but also how do we replicate that for other people to get that vibes of how do you, how you approach caregiving? So in my book, I have something called Pathways to Wellbeing. Okay. And that is downloadable as a free PDF. As, as is my roadmap on my website. Okay. Because I don't want people, I'm trying to be sensitive to, caregivers don't have time to read a hundred page book. They don't, and I am doing an audible um, audio version of it, but they also don't, they might not need to read the whole thing. So they can just download these things. They're pretty self-explanatory. Okay. Uh, and so my website is thesuddencaregiver.com. Suddencaregiver.com. Yeah. I will add it on our um, notes that way when we post it, it's there too. Okay, good. So what I'm about to say is on my website and you can just get it for yourself. But 
I say there are six ways to build well-being, to do that healthy side. And in my book, I, I separate the chapters into three parts. The first part is how to be a caregiver. Because I, I started with the roadmap, which is how to do caregiving. And, uh, and we can talk about that in a bit. But I realized that if you're on a journey, you need some resilience. You need to recognize you're on a journey, map it out. That's my first step in my pathways to well-being. Just recognize you're on a hero's journey. There's a predictable cadence to it if you can understand that it's coming. And then the second is to assume the position. So these are two things that caregivers take a long time to realize I did. When when I realized that caregiving is actually going to unfold in phases and I'm not going to be in crisis and chaos Mm -hmm. for the rest of my life or my husband's life. That was this enlightened moment. I got found that through just researching it. Assuming the position means you are in a particular relationship with your caregiver. You might be a spouse. You might be a daughter trying to deal with your suddenly ill parent, your father or mother. You might be a sibling who has never really been in this role before, but I believe in proactively deciding Mm -hmm. if everyone thinks I'm the caregiver, all the decisions are going to come through me. I'm going to own it. So I talk about that and that's the second step. But then the other three or the other four are really about how do I build my own resilience and hang on to it? Mm -hmm. And the third thing is to create a team. We all, caregivers love to do things by themselves. And I did. I absolutely understand it because I can trust myself. My husband didn't want anyone else around Mm -hmm. and it exhausts you. You can't possibly do it all your own. So when we talk about community, I encourage people to create a care team proactively. Mm -hmm. So I'm not good with numbers. It's not that I can't do it. I don't like it. I don't want to deal with the insurance company. I don't want to, I want someone to tell me. And so I can understand it later, but I don't want to do the spreadsheet. And so I have a friend, Richard, who loves numbers. He's that way. It's how his brain works. So I would line up people. I'm not handy around the house. And the first winter that we had, um, that was my first caregiving winter. It was the worst winter in Boston, which is where we were living. It was, we had seven blizzards in a row. My, I walked into my downstairs bathroom and there was water leaking from the roof. I have no ability to know what that is or how to fix it. But I had a guy who's our handyman. He, I just He's a friend who's really good at those things. And so what I did was I found those things that were likely to go wrong. And then I lined up the people in my world who would be good at that. So I had a shrink. I had a cheerleader. I had a numbers guy. I had a handyman. And for other people, it's going to be different. But the and the one thing I will say about that is nobody gets a place on your care leading squad Mm. unless you don't mind them seeing your dirty laundry, literally, Mm -hmm. the house a mess, Mm -hmm. what you how you organize your closets or don't organize them. You have to be comfortable with them and trust. Exactly. And you don't want to edit yourself. You don't want to you want to be able to have an intimate association with yeah. those people, yeah. not a yeah. strategic Definitely. Yeah. No, that's, that's exactly what I was going to ask you. So with you and your leadership skills, that already prepared you for how you put together a team, which is evident in how you explain this, that that's what you did. 
But for those that didn't are not equipped with that kind of skill and experience, what are some of the ways that you look in uh, into putting together a team? In my book, I talk about two forms of support, and everyone talks about two: informal, informal. Mm-hmm. So informal is what I just described, and I think it does require caregivers to open their aperture a little bit. Mm-hmm. I recently. I gave a talk in my local town and uh, someone called me and said, I don't know anyone. I just moved here. And when no sooner have we moved here than my husband had a stroke. And so I pointed her to the local hospital, local hospice areas, because even though her husband didn't need hospice, Mm -hmm. there are lots of volunteers who kind of congregate around those places. And I benefited from a caregiver support group at our local hospital. So I do recommend if you are looking for, if you don't feel like you have the personal relationships around you, I was lucky I did, mm-hmm. then look for those sorts of caring organizations. Every hospital has social workers. Every local hospital probably has programs geared toward families of different disease states. Mm-hmm. And so I'd start there. The other thing is I would encourage you to, to put a different lens on your own friends and family mm-hmm. and see if there isn't someone who you could give a job to. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're not your best friend, but maybe they're someone who just is good at numbers or good at, you know, some of the things that you need done. And run errands for you. Yeah. And you can keep a running list. And there are also websites where you can, if you don't want to call people and line them up, where you can just send a link out. There's a website called Lotsa Helping Hands, L-O-T-S-A Helping Hands. And that is that allows you to identify jobs like I need dinner brought every Wednesday when we come home from treatment or whatever that is, and then send the link to your friends, like identify what it is and send it out. So there are a few things like that. That, That's great. You mentioned a support group is something that you utilize. Can you tell us what do you think about the importance of community of caregivers and the work that they do to come together and have that kind of support group? Can you tell us the importance of that? I think it's critically important because of all that, because I, my goal was, my inclination was to be self-reliant and there is a sort of self-sufficiency syndrome. It's a thing and Mm -hmm. caregivers suffer from it. And it isn't because like self-sufficiency syndrome on the job is I can do it better. I'm just going to do it myself, even though I'm burning myself out. Mm-hmm. But in caregiving, it's more complicated than that because of the relationships. So I encourage everyone at a minimum to have someone you can talk to who isn't going to judge you, who lets you say whatever you can say. I found one hour every other Tuesday at my local hospital, a caregiving group run by a social worker. And she would just say, we're going to talk about the holidays. And it's so great to hear other people mm-hmm. talk about the struggles that you're also struggling with, that you don't want to say out loud. And it's your problem to solve. No one else is, but it's very helpful to yeah. get that kind of support. That, that's right. And then you don't have to feel like you're alone. This is the journey that other people are working as well. 
Yeah. Mm. So your book, The Sudden Caregiver, it's a roadmap to resilient caregiving. I think the title provides the richness of caregiving journey. What is the term resilient caregiving means? Resilient caregiving means that it's what I described the caregiver paradox that you don't have to have a negative caregiving experience. And caregiving, if we're lucky, caregiving goes on and on and on. And so if you think about, people said to me when I first became a caregiver, people who knew from their own caregiving, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So if you think you're running a marathon, just literally running a marathon, you need resilience. You need stores of protein. You need water. You need to hydrate. You need all those things. And so if you apply that to caregiving, it's the things that we're talking about. You need to choose support. You need to self-care. Money is how to to hoard your resources and, Mm -hmm. and take a different look at how you financially support caregiving is a, it's a very serious issue. I liken it to, because other countries do this better than the United States. And it's a little like when I, in the eighties, when I was having a baby and I was a working mom, you know, childcare, it, the way we do caregiving is you make up your own. Mm-hmm. Every single person, every one of those 53 million people is making up their caregiving situation. So if I can encourage people to make it up with resilience, what that means is the word resilience comes from Latin re meaning back and zillions meaning bounce or stretch. Mm-hmm. And it literally was applied when it was first used to in a scientific way, like rubber material that would stretch and resume its shape. Mm -hmm. And when you apply it to humans, what it means is not just that you're strong, but that you build. So you go through a crisis, you build some muscle Mm -hmm. and the next crisis will not be as difficult as the first one was Mm -hmm. because you're resilient. You will stretch, you will be stretched and you'll stretch. Great. That's wonderful. So if you were able to talk to yourself at the beginning of your caregiving journey, what message would you share? (laughs) Well, the first is what I just said. Caregiving is a marathon, not a sprint. So you really need to prepare. The other thing is, is to, I don't know that I needed to come to this realization sooner Mm-hmm. But your old people talk to you about your new normal as soon as you have a diagnosis, like we did. Your old normal is not coming back. And so, if if I understood that sooner, I might have wrapped my arms around what do I want this new normal to be? How do I design it and co-create it with my husband so that we can really know we're making the most of the the hours that we have together, have left together. So I might not, for example, have had little spats about what we were eating for dinner or who was cooking. (laughs) I might've just said, you know, this is, we have a finite amount of time here. Is this the most important thing we should be thinking about? So it would have given me a different lens. Okay. I, what are some of the typical discussion topics that is, you usually ignored among caregivers. 
that you feel are important to discuss? There are three things. The first is to get informed. So everyone will tell you, don't Google the disease. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to take in ridiculous things. Like you can Google stage four lung cancer and people will tell you if he only took asparagus every day, his cancer would be cured. That's not what I mean. But I do think from the early days, what I understood was this is the trajectory. Here's the bell curve of this disease. Mm. And I could draw it on a napkin and I could tell you in the first six months what the survival rate was, in the middle, what the survival rate was, and then the and the out the outlier. And when I understood that, it gave me a goal. It's like, okay, how do we get to this 5% who are still alive in five years? Mm. That was something that I kept in mind. So really understand what it is you're dealing with, because it allows you to have a timeline that is, I mean, denial is a nice thing, but you really, if you're the caregiver, you need to understand it and take it in. You don't need to share it with everyone, but it's that's one thing. The second thing is I talked to a lot of people about relationships and relationships, you might imagine, came up a lot in our caregiver support group because even though we're dealing with stage four cancer, mm-hmm. you're still in the same relationships with everyone you've always been in the relationship with. And so there's a tendency among caregivers to expect more from everybody. Like, I don't understand why my brother doesn't get in his car and drive for five hours to spend time with our mom, you know, and and it's a disappointment and it's a source of anguish for caregivers. And I want to just sort of say, let's reframe those relationships. First of all, let's be as kind as we can to everyone, because everyone, including that brother who refuses to drive six hours and help out, everyone's going through something. And my mom, my late mom used to say that my mom was very quotable. And that was one of the things that she used to say, be, be kinder than you feel because everyone's going through something. And then also to look at the relationships and say, why am I expecting more from this person now in crisis? When in reality, for the last 20 years, we've never been different. We've always been this way. So just to get a little reality on that. And the third thing, which is the thing I did first and really helped was get organized. You said earlier, we don't like to think about, we don't see ourselves as becoming caregivers, but it's all likely we will either be or need a caregiver. Mm-hmm. So likewise, 59% of, of Americans don't have wills, trusts. They don't know what's going to happen if they die. Wow. I'm looking at my desk here, which is piled with things. And I don't want my daughter to have to figure this out Ouch, yeah. if I suddenly get run over by a bus. Yeah. So one thing I did was I got a binder, I'm literally a binder, some tabs, pens, little notebooks that I could keep in the binder. And that binder went with me everywhere. So what medications are we on? If you end up in the ER, you can just pull that out. I now, by the way, take pictures of every medication on and keep them on my cell phone. But there are questions you get asked and medication especially changes out so much. Right. Just keep tabs. And then that thing became, it was this thick, this binder, by the time we were done. And we left it by the front door. And as we had more home health aides coming in, 
that binder was always there. People could always refer to it. All the logs were there. I took pictures of different pills and things so that people would understand. If I wasn't there, they'd know what was what. And I've talked to other caregivers, like one friend of mine, he says, Monday is mom day. That's the day I take care of my mother, all my mother's caregiving things. I have a black briefcase for mom, a brown briefcase for my own stuff. I know someone else who keeps a shoebox for his partner's illness. So whatever works for you, just have everything in one place. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that. Karen, I, I, you know, I find your story inspiring um, that you're out there sharing your story and you wrote this book that I'm looking forward to reading um, to help other caregivers um, learn from your experience and hopefully that could help them in their own journeys as well. And I find stories to be powerful. I am, am My hope is that not only it's fulfilling for you that you're sharing, but that is therapeutic for you. Can you tell us a little bit about the power of storytelling? Oh, thank you. Well, I'm a big believer in storytelling because I feel like it makes the point emotionally. And when we connect emotionally, mm-hmm. so you can hear my one story. And if I share other people's stories, it's much easier. It's much more it will spur us to action and inspire us to action much more than if I just say, well, this is what caregivers do. And this is what super aging people do. And this is what, but to really say, this is a a really interesting phenomenon that this one person discovered. So that I think is quite powerful in terms of writing my book. It took me four years to write and When you read it, you will see parts of it were incredibly difficult to write. Mm -hmm. And even there's a chapter toward the end where I really believed that sharing my story and the stories of other caregivers, which are in the book, will help people say, latch on to, that's me. Not 100% of it, but this person went through this and I I can resonate with it and find my own way because of it. So I think those are really powerful. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't shirk in writing my book, <laughs> but I wrote things. I just my I'm in a writing group and they said, you know, you don't really say any heart, you know, this had to be hard. Where is it? And I said, okay, I'll, I'll put, I'll put it in. <laughs> yeah. Well, my final question to you, Karen, is for any of our listeners who know someone who's a caregiver or who is a caregiver themselves, which this, our listeners, there's a lot of caregivers within our listeners. What message would you share with them today? Okay. So caregiving brings its own lessons. And the one that I resonate with the most and believe in and have always used as a pattern in my own life is the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Caregiving is a hero's journey. And a hero's journey is an average mortal steps out into the world to pursue a goal that the gods have given him or her. And the mortal is not, we are not gods. We are not goddesses. We are just us making things up as we go along. And there's a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. I lived in Concord, Massachusetts. That's where my husband eventually passed away. And that's Emerson country. And I found this quote early in my life. 
and I have it stenciled to my hallway in, in my front hallway in my home. Okay. And it says, live each day and let it go. You did your best. No doubt blunders and absurdities crept in. Forgive yourself as soon as you can. Tomorrow is a new day. That is my message to caregivers. Mm -hmm. You will not ever be a perfect caregiver if you're a human on a caregiving journey. You're, you will be a hero in the eyes of many people and especially hopefully the one in your care. Right, right. Well, thank you. That is so, such a powerful word that you shared at this point. What is it that you do for self-care, Karen? <laughs> uh, I work a lot. No, um, that's a great question. Well, I do all the things that I tell people. I'm a coach, so I actually have to hold myself to the same standards I hold my clients to. So right. I do work out. I have a Peloton. During COVID, we had to find a way to work out without going to the gym. Yeah, I have a Peloton yeah. bike. I have a mirror, which is one of those exercise things that you can okay. work out. So my attic was turned into a gym. I used to run. Yeah. Yo, you do? Yeah. Oh, good. I turned my basement to a gym. Yeah. <laughs> it's not as much fun as going to the gym, but I actually like the convenience of it. Do you? Yeah, yeah I do too. I, do. I find I do it more. I get to walk out with my kids you know, over there. Yeah. So my son still goes to the gym. Once things open up, he started going to the gym. So mm -hmm. I guess my gym is not as good as the gym we go to. So, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's what we do. Yeah. And then we watch what we eat. I'm remarried. Um, and good. congratulations uh, on that. Bless, blessfully so. And we do, we get those meal kits. Like we get us, a, a, it's called sun basket, but it's, Everything comes in, you only get one. If it has one piece of meat, you get one piece of meat. So it really helps us do portion control. That's good. And then we just, you know, we're really, we just believe in health. I recently had some surgery okay. unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. And as I went through the vetting process to get ready for surgery, mm -hmm. the question I got asked a hundred times was, what medications do you take? And I don't take any medications. Mm -hmm. I don't take any medications. Right. And so no one could believe that. So they kept saying, no, I mean, what medications do you take? <laughs> now, I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm not so, it's not that I'm so smart. I'm lucky right You're now. You're not of the super ages, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I, the blue zones and the, you know, the things right. you have to embrace and, and espouse. Dan Butner from Blue Zones talked at our, he came as a guest lecturer to my program yeah. at the University of Pennsylvania. So right. we were lucky to and have that inspiration. So I try to do all the little, I call them micro choices all throughout the day. I am not a saint at it by any means. But you're doing uh, the best. But I, but I try. And the other thing I do is, and I, I listen to you talk about this on one of your podcasts, but it's the idea of not just keeping physically active, but mentally active. Right. So I'm still working. I love my job. I love what I do, but I love creating as a part of it. So mm. I'm in a writing group, two writing groups, actually. I'm trying to write a novel, not, nice. not to be famous and make it into a Hollywood movie, but just to keep 
doing something creative. That's, that's, wonderful. that's yeah. wonderful. And good luck on that novel too. Hopefully I'll get to read that as well once it's out. <laughs> Do you have any concluding thoughts? The thing that is most important for caregivers every day is to grant yourself some grace. Yeah. Thank you so much for those insights. That's very important information that you shared with us. I truly appreciate your work and all that you're doing in this space to support caregivers with everything that you're doing. I truly appreciate you. And I am honored to have you on this podcast today. And I can't wait to get this information out to our listeners to share this with them. So thank you. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. It's such a privilege to talk about this topic with someone who lives and breathes this every day. So I truly appreciate that. Thank you. I appreciate your time words as well. Thanks so much for tuning in to Super Agent Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the program. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out by leaving us a comment or sending us a message via email superagentpodcast at gmail.com or connect with us through social media. And if you haven't done so already, please feel free to subscribe to any of your favorite podcast listening site, Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to your podcast and leave us a review. Until next time, remember that self-care is self-love. Take good care.